0: hey, is our band great? Give it up for them. I'm seriously. There's times where I, when I'm at a church like this and with our band like here, they're so good. I just think I shouldn't preach. I'm just going to let them keep singing, but I'm not going to do that today. So that's not the the case. Hey, uh, I want to tell you just a quick thing that I forgot to tell you. You know, Billy Graham, one of my favorite statements from Billy Graham, the, the speaker was, he said, someday, you're gonna hear about uh, my death, that there's gonna be rumors that I've died. He said, don't you believe it, because at that moment, I'll be more alive than I ever have been. And that's, that's really the hope that we have. One eye on heaven, one eye on earth, let's live it fully, let's love fully, let's forgive fully, amen? amen. Let me get a little comeback, amen? amen? All right, this is the kind of message where it's so practical that I need you guys to respond sometimes. This is the, I guess, the, the most important message I've ever given. would talk about Jesus. In my world, for me, this is the second most important message because it changed how I learned to love like Jesus. It changed, it was so practical, it changed how I parented. It changed how I treated my wife, Kathy. It changed how I want people to treat me. So um, I think if you're in here today and you just say, you know what, maybe you've heard this one before, hear it with fresh ears. Think about how you can apply this for other people. Think about if if it's changed for you any. And if you've not heard this message I'm gonna talk about today, then you're in for a treat because it is just uh, spot on, I think, what uh, Jesus would want us to hear today and would want us to apply. Uh, My wife, Kathy, a few weeks ago made a a beef stew in this pot, this metal pot right here. And uh, she put it in the oven and I come home and I'm smelling beef stew and it just, you know, the carrots, the potatoes, the beef, the tomatoes, it was just great. And she makes a phenomenal beef stew. And uh, as I came in, she said, Tom, could you taste it? And uh, so I went in and got, got an oven glove, all right? And this is uh, one of her Christmas presents. And I, so I got my wife an oven glove and she, and I took it out and I took it out of the uh, oven and uh, set it there with the, with the oven gloves and then walked away. And I couldn't wait to come back. I took off my coat. I'd just come in from, the, from outside and, and I couldn't wait to go sample it. And I came back and, and it was hot in the oven. You know, I mean, this thing was, she hadn't brought it out yet. And I, I didn't think that the lid was as hot as the side. So I went like this. Now, as soon as I picked it up, I realized that this would be a very good time for me to commit a crime because I had no more fingerprints left. They'd been burned off. And I I picked up and immediately put my hands under water. And I thought, boy, what a dumb thing to do. I mean, wisdom would have taught you that if the side of the metal pot is hot, then the top's obviously hot, right? Would you guys agree? You can look at me and say, Tom, that that was a dumb thing. Just say that just once, get off your chest, right? That was a dumb thing. And it didn't scar much. I got it really quickly out of that. But then the stew tasted great. And the reason I tell you this story to start off with is I love wisdom, I love wisdom. 66 books in the, that make up the Bible, this collection of stories or letters uh, that we believe are inspired by God. And there's 39 of them in the Old Testament, which would be the old covenant or the old contract, the thing that God had with us with the nation Israel. We live in the New Testament right now, the new contract between God, Jesus, and all people. But one of my favorite books is this book of Proverbs. And it comes from the Old Testament. And it's just wise writings. Now, they're not rules, but they're principles. Meaning, generally, if you follow them, that you'll live a better life. And they were written, most of them, by a guy named Solomon, who God says was uh, certainly one of the wisest people that ever walked the earth. So I love these. So I'm gonna just read just a couple, couple proverbs for you before we get where we're going. And you tell me if these are good proverbs. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. That's Proverbs 10:19. Meaning when you talk a lot, it, isn't your sin when you're in an argument and you go, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not going to say it. All right, that's it. I'm letting you have it. That's when sin comes. As a pastor, my biggest worry is that I use words. And when you talk a lot, you send to say some dumb things out in a foyer or a hallway that you think, why did I, why did I say that? And it just comes back to the truth with wisdom. If you talk a lot, uh, you've got to be careful because there's sin right there. Well, here's another one. It says this, when pride comes then comes greatness, nope. When pride comes, then comes kindness, nope. When pride comes, then comes popularity, nope. It says when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Now if you've ever been around a person that they're so prideful, they know everything, they can't tell you anything, they don't listen. You know, you don't think highly of those people when you've been a person that says, you can't tell me anything, I'm not gonna do that, then you know their next step is down. This is no knock on teenagers, but one of the problems with teenagers is, they think they know everything. I thought I knew everything, and there's still times where I think I do. And then pride pops in, and I know my next step is what? It's disgrace. So that's a good one. When pride starts to well up in me, I think, oh, be careful, that's not necessarily good. Well, here's here's another one. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Isn't that crazy? Do you have any people in your life that you said, they're so hard-headed you can't tell them anything? Raise your hand if you, if you have a person like that. Keep your hand up if they're sitting next to you. No, don't, don't do that, you're good. Well, here's the one that we're gonna park on. And I could keep reading proverb after proverb. It's, it's, like I said, it's one of my favorite books to read. But listen to this one, written 3,000 years ago. Hatred stirs up dissension. Meaning when there's hatred going on, there's divisiveness. And we know that just by watching our political climate in our country right now. But you know it personally, because if you've got a sister-in-law that you hate or you've got, uh, you've got that going on in your own family, hatred stirs up dissension. That's not a good place to be. But here's the beautiful part of it. But love covers over all wrongs. Is that not crazy? Hatred's a big deal, but love, it covers that over. Hatred's powerful, but love covers that over. So again, I'll read it again from Proverbs ten twelve, written 3,000 years ago. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Wisdom is powerful stuff, right? So I did some thinking. I said, that, that was written 3,000 years ago. And I've tried, tried breaking it down. That was about 150 generations ago this was written. A generation is 20 to 25 years, okay? So it's about 150 generations ago, baby boomers, millennials, Generation Z, the greatest generation ever. It's about 20 to 25 years. So 150 generations ago that was written. And it's true. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love, when you get love right, it covers over a whole lot of stuff. And I don't have to push much harder on this yet right now. If you've had a dad that was an absent dad growing up, but he got it right at one time of his life you know what, that covers over a whole lot of problems. If you've ever had a friend that you were sideways with, and all of a sudden you, were, you, were, you weren't with them for five, six years, and then all of a sudden they came in and did something loving for you, and it just covers it over. There's the power of love, it is amazing. So this, this proverb, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs, it stood the test of time for 3,000 years. And uh, so 2,000 years ago, I'm gonna read something to you, or 100 generations ago, This guy named Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 4.8. He wrote, above all, above what? All, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Who's he quoting? He's quoting Solomon who wrote that a thousand years prior to when Peter wrote it. Now all that tells me is this. They didn't have books, this collection of stuff wasn't together. This was passed down for a thousand years Or roughly 50 generations, love is powerful. Hatred is huge and it's bad stuff. But love, when you get it right, when you learn to love right, when you love, it covers over that stuff. It can remove that stuff. Now that gives us hope, strong hope. Because if you've misparented, if you've misloved, if you've not been a good kid to your your family, if you've been mean to your brothers and sisters, This can build things back up. So you say, well, I've blown it. I've got so many regrets. No, love is more powerful than the hate or the dislike or the meanness or the honoriness or whatever you want to pick before. That's what the writer's saying. And here, Peter quotes that as well. Above all, he says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So one question would be begged right now. Well, well, uh, how do we love? Just to push a little bit more on this love thing before I answer that. I'm gonna quote a couple people here. Do you really believe love's powerful? Show your hands if you really believe love's powerful. You really believe that? And I wanted to drill it in for you. Do you really believe that? Well, here's one comment. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King Jr. He, he got it. He knew the Solomon verse. He knew the Peter verse. He said, hey, look, hate, hate's a big deal. It's bad stuff and it can ruin a lot of things. But love is like a tsunami of power. There's nothing like it. It is at the top of the food chain, it is the biggest animal in the kingdom. That one thing can overcome so many other things that we as humans, in, in our brokenness, we do. How about this one? The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread, Mother Teresa. She says, now think about her. She's in India. She's feeding the poor and hungry. They have no food. And she says, it's easier to feed a person because they're hungry for food than to give them love. It's harder to overcome that. They need love. And she said, that's much tougher to overcome. Something inside of us needs love. It's a huge deal. So let's go back to what Jesus said about it. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 39. This is known in the Christian world as the greatest commandment. In other words, Jesus tells us, what's the big deal? Sum up everything. Just sum it up for us. Give us like a one sentence, like where we can, you know, make a poster of it and hang it on our wall. What would it be? And Here's what he says. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22, 36 through 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. So Jesus, just sum up everything. Is there a list of things I'm not supposed to do? Meaning, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs, don't all Is there just a list of that's what it's about? No. Is there a list of people I'm supposed to uh, say things to? No. Jesus, what's the list? He says, you love God and you love those around you. That's the list. And when you do that well, all those other things will find their place at the right time. But this is the big one that you love and you love well. I believe that Jesus obviously loved well. And uh, in fact, I'd say this, he was fluent in the language of love, fluent in the language of love. He knew the power of love, he loved well. So um, I want us to think today of a gas pump where there's empty and there's full. If you love well, you fill the love tank of people. If you don't love well, you drain it. There's no neutral. Okay, for people around you, you're either filling their love tank or generally you're either draining it. Now, here's the point. All of you know we have a desire to be loved. And all of you know that when we feel like we're not loved, that's when sin is at our doorstep. I mean, when you feel like you have no love in your tank to give, then it's hard to love people when you don't have any love. That's why it's so important for those of you that do foster care or, or, or any group of people that come in that maybe their love tank has been drained, that you love them well. It's so important for the widows and the orphans to love them well. It's so important for the single mom to love her well. It's so important for the person that maybe is isolated and lonely and they've had some people that have passed away in their life. It's so important for this generation, if I could speak to this generation now. If you get this one right, you will change our world for Jesus in ways that are far superior to any other generation that has gone before you. This one thing. But you have to major in this. You have to major in this. <clears throat> all right, so I'm gonna read one more person. Any of you guys ever heard of Carol Burnett? Raise your hand, the comedian. All right. Raise your hand if you've not heard of Carol Burnett. I wanna see this. Okay, all right. You've not heard of Carabinette? Wow, Brent, get a life. <laughs> you can watch her on, I don't know what cable network it is right now, but she was a comedian, and uh, a great comedian and a great lady, and you can still see her, she's still around. But here's what she wrote, and I did a little, as I was reading for this message, I researched a couple of people, I'm a book reader, so I came across this quote, and here's what she said. She said, my childhood was rough, we were poor, and my parents were alcoholics, but nobody was mean. I knew I was loved. We were on welfare, but I never felt abandoned or unloved. And she goes on to say that even though she was a dysfunctional family, from alcoholism to severe poverty, she said the key factor was, I knew I was loved, and it never busted me. So the circumstances of a a dad who struggled with an addiction, of of a family that was on the brink of never having enough to eat or shelter. Love overcame that. Got it? I've got a guy coming in town in a week, a guy named Frankie Charles from Haiti. So some of you are hearing this for the first time, and I might be having him spend a night or two at your house. But he's a a person that we uh, sponsor down in Haiti. You guys do. And he's got 11 teachers that we sponsor as well, and a school of about 100. So Oak Bridge is their only sponsor. Frankie's coming in town, and what I'm worried about Frankie is, Frankie's going to see some things that he's never seen, like buildings as big as this. Like, can you imagine an airport? He's going to an airport. And I said, Frankie, you got to fly into Miami, then you got to take, then you got to go from a plane to Miami, then you got to go to Dallas, and Dallas and he goes, He goes, well, when I come in here and I go into Miami, he says, then how do I get to Dallas? I said, well, you'll catch another plane. He goes, well, where do I drive to go catch that plane at? I said, no, you'll walk in the airport. He goes, is it a, he says, he says, they've got room in there. I said, Frankie, this airport's going to be like a mile long. He's never seen that, right? He's going to come in and he's going to see the stuff that you have, running water in the house, toilets. He's going to see all this stuff. And my fear is that Frankie is going to think this is the important stuff. When in reality, the important stuff for him and his family and his community is what? Say it. Love. It's love, this stuff's fine. But I tell you what, your dad could be an alcoholic and you cannot have anything. And if your family has love, you're rich beyond measure and it is right. So I'm gonna just drive this down again. Do you really want to love powerfully? And I'm looking at every single person in this room. And I'm asking do you want to love more? Do you want to love the way that Jesus said? Do you want to have access to the most powerful thing ever given to us? Do you want to do that? Or do you just want to say, okay, this is a nice message. I'll get out here and go home and I'll live the way I want to live. And the, the sooner you learn to apply this, the sooner you learn to speak love fluently, the better your life will be, the better the people around you will be. And the more I believe that God will use you in ways that you can't imagine. And I don't care what age you're at. This is the key. This is the great commandment to love. Now, from here, I wish I could show you scripture after scripture. This is really a principal thing. There's a writer named Gary Chapman, who's a Christian author and psychologist. And he wrote this book called The Five Love Languages, which is primarily where most of this material is coming from. But every principle, and I'm going to show you, when I mention these five love languages, every principle I'm going to show you, Jesus modeled somewhere. Meaning he did it. He didn't quote, quote unquote, Gary's book, Five Love Languages. And I can't find a passage necessarily for every one of these love languages. But I can show you the general principle of love. And I can tell you that Jesus applied each one of these to every person that he came into. And I believe he'd apply them to you. All right. So remember the series 2020 Vision? And we said that Jesus would be grateful if he walked through the doors. I believe if Jesus came in, he'd pay attention to you. And he would figure out how best you feel loved. You feel loved. Now, here's an example of it. Um, My dad told me, and I might say this earlier, my dad told me a year or two ago, two years ago, we were driving, He's 83, and he used to call me affectionately, boy, we'd be in a car, he said, boy, he said, my mom and my dad never, ever said they loved me. He grew up on a farm and they were farmers. And I said, well, dad, uh, did they love you? And he says, I think so but it would have been nice to hear it. Now, here's the point. My dad needed to hear it. You might be a person that says, I never need to hear it. My mom and dad, they don't don't say it, but I know I'm loved. You're going to find one of these love languages is going to be your primary love language. Now, listen to me. One of these is going to be your primary love language. There might be a secondary. All five of them show love, but one of them makes you fill your love tank. Now, here's the key, what I want to get. I want you to know what your love language is, and you should know it. Right? You should know that and you should be able to tell other people, this is how I feel loved. It's only fair to them to tell them how your love tank gets full. But I also want you to understand, what's the love tank of your children? What's the love tank of your parents, your friends, your spouses, your co-workers? If you can figure that out, then you are living the way that Jesus wants you to live fully for Him. You'll be able to tell the truth more and show grace more. And the other part of this is, if you don't know those peoples around you, their love tank, my grandma and grandpa were stoic people. I don't. I think they loved my dad when I was around them. I believe that. But I don't think they knew by not telling my dad that they loved him, that it would hang with him for 82 years. And I don't think they knew that, that they were innocently draining his love tank. Understand that? So I want you to become aware. And I'm going to jump through these. This should be a five-week message so you understand how quickly I've got to go in here. All right. So again, just to show of hands, do you want to learn to love? Raise your hand if you do. I mean, I'm just trying to get you to make a commitment where you know it. All right. Here's the first one. The first one I want to talk about is, is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. That's my primary love language. It's verbal compliments. It's words of appreciation. It's encouraging words. It's why Jesus called Peter the rock. You ever think about this? You read the scriptures, and he'd give one a nickname like Son of Thunder. He'd give another one a nickname like The Rock. And I'm, I'm like with all these other guys, like, well, where's my nickname? I think that Jesus knew that Peter needed words of affirmation. He needed to hear, hey, Pete, you're The Rock. If you're a coach, you know it. You tell little kids, you're a dynamo. You can do this. You know that's their love language. Other, other kids don't need to hear it. But verbal compliments are huge. Encouraging words, kind words, words of forgiveness. Humble words. People have the words of affirmation, they don't like demands. Can I say this? So my wife Kathy and I have been married 40 years, we've gone out a long time. You guys have been around, know the story. And sometimes when my marriage shifts into the winter season, not winter outside, a little chilly inside, uh, it's because she knows my love language of words of affirmation. And uh, she'll times will ask me, well not ask me, she'll tell me to do something. And that irritates me. An example, Tom, the trash needs taken out. Could you take, will you take the trash out? All right. It comes off to me like, take the trash out, you lousy piece of, you know what, and I don't care about you, I don't love you. But when she asked me, hey Tom, the trash needs taken out, I love you, you're such a good husband, will you take the trash out? Now, you guys would say, well, that's humiliating. You shouldn't have to say that. And here's what I'd say is, I plan on taking my last breath with that woman. And I want my next, whatever years God gives to be better than they've been before. I want her to love me well. And by the way, I'll show you hers in a second. And I want to love hers well. Got it? I want to love well. I want to honor my King in Jesus. And I want to love well. And it's hard. So words of affirmation. So if Kathy, I've told Kathy, I said, if if you ask me stuff, it's a lot better than if you tell me to do something. And I know I understand it. It shouldn't make any difference, but it does. And by the way, that's how God made me. And that's how he made you. So words of affirmation. Here's a couple things. Watch criticism, watch criticism for people that have words of affirmation. Um, My son, Matt, who some of you know, he's, him and Josh were like brothers growing up. Uh, Matt's down in Atlanta. He's a pastor down in Atlanta right now. But my son's love language is words of affirmation. And uh, I remember this was like in seventh or eighth grade. I coached him in basketball, might've been sixth. I was coaching him in basketball. And when I would tell him to do something, like, Matt, shoot the ball like this, do it like this, or, or pass the ball over there and cut away, it would bug him. Now, I'd never, I couldn't understand it. Again, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. Matt's one of the most compliant, coachable kids around. If you know Matt, it's, it's hard to be sideways with him. But this would bug him. And I realized that what Matt was hearing when I said, Matt, you need to shoot it like this, he wasn't here hearing correction of how to shoot. What he was hearing is, his dad says, you're doing something wrong. I don't love you. I don't love you. That's what he was hearing. Now, I, I wasn't meaning to say that. I was just saying, just shoot the ball like this. So I realized it at an early age, because I knew this book and I knew the teachings of it. And I knew that love was powerful. So then Matt went on to play in high school. After a game, he would do some things that were wrong. And they were wrong, and I knew they were wrong. I said, Matt, you shouldn't have done this. Do you think, by the way, after the game, do you think that I would tell him what was wrong or do you think I bit my tongue? What do you think? Well, if I told him what was wrong, maybe he'd score a few more points, maybe they'd win another game. If I told him what was wrong, maybe I'd ruin my relationship with my son who I love most and I'm his only dad. I never, ever, ever critiqued him, never. I had to bite my tongue and it got bloody a lot of times after a lot of basketball games. But love was more important than that. Hey, your kid with the grade, I know you want him to get the B or the A, but think it through. Think about your words. Think it through. Think it through. Your spouse, I know that one thing they do, but if their love language is, is words of affirmation, can you affirm them? I don't know, even it's a joke, even when they don't load the dishwasher right. Can you affirm them? I mean, do you want to love? That's what I'm saying. Do you want to love? That's my greatest frustration with the followers of Jesus. Do you want to love? And if we do, then you have to do this stuff. Say, I love you. My dad had a bitterness for 80 years with his parents, and all he had to say was three lousy words. I love you, Bill. I love you, Bill. And they could have said it, by the way, when my dad, when their, my grandparents were still alive and my dad was 70. They could have said it to him when he was 70. And it would have overcame all that other stuff. All right, I got to hurry on. Just real quick. Do you know anybody with a love language of words of affirmation? Could you raise your hand if you know anybody with a love language? Get them up high where I can at least see. Somebody has that. Can you figure out if it's your kid? And by the way, if you want to know the love languages, what people normally do to you, what you normally do for others, that's probably what your love language is. So if you're a person that compliments people all the time, that's probably your love language. If you say, I love you all the time, that's probably your love language. And it's easy. If somebody says, I love you, say, I love you too. Even though you might be thinking, I hate saying this, this is so corny, makes me sick. Say it, say it, it's right. All right, here's the second one, quality time. Quality time is togetherness, but it's more than that. It's focused attention, it's not close proximity. If you're in the same room together and you've got your iPhone out, The person that has quality time is not considering that quality time. If you go out to dinner and you pull out your phones, that's not quality time. That is not quality time. It's focused attention. It's, this is why I love, this is why I love, listen to this, I love father-daughter dates. You get in a car, you drive out, you go get ice cream. That kid, if their love language is quality time, they will remember that date forever. Quality time is that important. Maybe as a young age, I don't remember. Maybe the love languages I think can shift through ages and stages of life a little bit. I remember I, my dad took me, this was in Indiana, I was in probably second grade, took me into the town to get in, a Sunday morning paper. And I remember the song was playing was Downtown. Downtown. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember anything about second grade, but I remember my dad took me to get a paper. And that song was on. Right? Quality time. You can do this. You can take your mom, who lost her husband, your dad, three years ago. You can take your mom out and say, Mom, we're going to Applebee's. Mom, we're going to go to Mom's Valley. You can do this. You can do this. Quality time. Focus, put the phone down. And moms, you do that, put the phones down. I know that. I know the iPads, but we've got to put them down. Put them down. Pay attention, focus attention. Can you imagine Jesus? He's out on a trip, and he's wandering along, and all of a sudden he comes to a woman, and she's by the well, and, and he looks at her, and he thinks she shouldn't be here at noon. She's by herself. Something's wrong. I mean, she's got no friends. Something's wrong. something's not right. She's got. He's got his twelve apostles with him, and they're thinking, what's this woman doing here? All the apostles are probably bad mothers. So what's well, she here by herself? She should be here in the morning. And then Jesus knows something about the woman. He knew she'd been married five times and the person who she was with now was not her husband. Jesus tells the apostles, because I think he thought they would have said something or done something in this time period, he says, you go away. You guys go leave. And he spends time with her. Do you think that when she's telling him his story, Jesus, you think he went, oh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. What do you think? No, I think he loved her. I think he knew quality time. was her her deal. Get away, apostles. I know you're going to say something or do something that's not right and I want to love her well. She's had some stuff in her background that the only thing that can overwhelm that like a tsunami is love. I'm going to love her well. Quality time also is quality conversation. It's shared thoughts and feelings. It's sympathetic dialogue where you're listening. This is where... Um, I have a tough time at times with, with my wife, Kathy. There's two great types of people that normally marry each other when they, this conversation mode. One is the Dead Sea, where you say something and it's like, nothing comes back. Sweetie, what do you think about last night's event? Yeah, it was fine and nothing comes back. That's the Dead Sea person. The other one's the babbling brook, where they talk, 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 and the person that's the Dead Sea person is thinking to themselves, would? You just shut up. So Dead Seas normally marry babbling brooks. In my family, I'm the babbling brook. Kathy's the Dead Sea. So if, if we have quality time, we've got to both listen to each other. And, and, and when we do it right, and we, and we focus on it because we know this. If I'm talking about something, I said, do you hear me? She, I do hear you. What do you think about it? I, I think you're right. I think this is what we should do. The love tank gets what? Filled. That's why if you want if you want me to know, and, and The Edge has been talking about this, this is the problem with cell phones today. People that have the love language of quality time are getting crushed and under the weight of cell phones, they're getting crushed by it. And I think that's where Satan puts his head in there. It's also quality activities. You do something with somebody that wants quality time that you've planned it out you've worked on a vacation, a trip to Table Rock, they appreciate that and they love that. Watch your phone time, watch your TV time. One-on-ones are important, mother, son, father, daughter, mother, mother, daughter, friend, friend, those things are important. How many of you guys know somebody that has the love language you think of quality time? Raise your hand. Yeah, can I just tell you this? When I speak to most moms, when the kids have left, meaning their kids have gotten older, Most moms love Thanksgiving or Christmas, and the only thing they want is what? For the kid's family to be there together. That's it. So if that's you, if you say, you know what, I just like it on the weekends, maybe it's quality time that's yours. All right. Here's the third one. It's receiving gifts. It's receiving gifts. And uh, these people are not greedy. They're not materialistic at all. They just know that gifts are an expression of love. Uh, My son, Henry, I mean, my grandson, Henry, you're going to have to... Tell me it's okay for me to talk about my grandkids. Remember my love, my love language is words of affirmation. So say, Tom, it's okay for you to talk about your grandkids. Say that. <laughs> hey, thanks. I won't do that much anymore after today, but thank you. I appreciate that. So God tends to teach me lessons through people that I'm around a lot. Well, Henry comes over, and every time Henry comes over, he brings some kind of gift, a ball, some thing that he took off the counter, uh, something he just got. And he's been doing that, and I see him a lot. He always brings over a gift. I'm thinking, into my mind, I'm thinking, what's he bringing over all this little junk for? What is the deal? Right? That's how he shows love. And at the end of the day, when he'll leave grandma and grandpa's house, he'll say, could I take that with me? And I said, I said, Henry, I said, that's a strainer. You don't need a strainer. And I realized that's his love language, is gifts. You know, something that reflects something, it means something gifts. He had his first, fifth birthday party. They all got together and they uh, had this little party and I said, Henry, what was your favorite part of the party? What do you think he said? The presents. That's exactly right, the presents. So I love it because see, if somebody has the love language of gifts, that's an easy one because you can give them gifts. You can do that. All right, a couple other things real quickly about gifts. They need to be thoughtful. They need to be cost appropriate. In other words, they don't need to be expensive, but if that date... You should give them like for Valentine's Day coming up. You know, if you give them a dead tulip, that's not gonna mean near as much as a dozen roses. That might cost you 60 bucks, but it might be worth it if you wanna fill the love tank of that person. Or a special night, got it? Bringing home those kind of things are important. The gift of self, by the way, I told you I do funerals. Well, I also go to hospitals quite a bit. And there's been some times where I've been there where they've gone through, I can't imagine looking over somebody that you love, that's body's broken, and there's nothing you can do. People say, well, what do you say when there's this, you're in that situation? What do you say to them, Tom? I said, there are no words, just my presence, just your presence, just being there. The gift of self speaks volumes. And some of you are so compassionate that you've meant so much to so many people. For those people that didn't say it, I want to thank you if you're there and you're there for people. The gift of self is huge. Your presence during hard times. Unexpected gifts make a big difference. A just because gift. A just because I what? Love you. Those are big deals. And don't miss expected days for the people that have that. Don't miss expected days. In words, for Valentine's Day, if you know the person that has receiving gifts as their love language, don't miss it. Don't excuse it. Do what you need to do. Don't miss, don't miss birthdays. Don't miss anniversaries. If you miss an anniversary of the person receiving gifts, if it's a wedding anniversary, it'll probably be your last one that you miss because there won't be another one. So give those gifts in there. Valentine's and Christmas as well. This is a thought on this one. God says no man has given a greater gift than to lay down his life for another. Can't you love Jesus? He gave us his life. It's the biggest gift ever. You think he didn't know that? Fourth one, by the way, how many of you guys uh, believe that you you know somebody has the, the love language of receiving gifts? Raise your hand, thanks. Fourth one is acts of service acts of service. i got five minutes and I'll finish these up. Fourth one is acts of service. That's my wife's. And here's what it is. It's doing things that you know someone would want you to do for them. Now, you've got to be careful about this one. And I'm just p- spe- speaking from marriage experience. If you say, well, I work for you every day, expected things doesn't count for people with acts of service. It's doing things that are unexpected. So if you're arguing with your spouse and you come home and you say, well, I mow the lawn. Well, you, you are, you're going to mow the lawn whether I don't do it or not. It's doing something that's unexpected for them. And it might be doing the dishes, it might be mowing the lawn, it might be putting the kids to bed, it might be going to your neighbor and helping them with something. But acts of service are powerful. Remember the message, how can I help? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve. Because it's another expression of love. That's what Jesus is all about. You might have to re-examine stereotypical roles. We grow up kind of in a patriarchal society, so you think men do this and women do this. You might have to reexamine that a little bit to come out of your comfort zone to do some things that normally a man wouldn't do or a woman wouldn't do. Those are things that you have to think about. Uh, How can I help is a great question all the time. People express that. And uh, if you know that they don't like doing something and you do it, that's huge. How many of you guys uh, believe you have the, or you know somebody has the love language of acts of service? They just serve. That's my wife, Kathy, by the way. If you know her, she just serves at church. And she does it, can I just say this on her behalf? Because she loves the people at church. And that's her best way to show it. When we're home, and I say, Kathy, can you just sit down? Because I'm watching a, a basketball game. Can you just sit down? And she can't. Because how she's learned to love was from her dad. Her dad was that way. Is that same way. Okay, here's the fifth one. Physical touch. This is the one that you hope your wife has and your daughter doesn't, as their love winge. You guys know that held babies are healthier babies? Can I say that again? Every study shows that held babies are healthier babies. So when you hold babies, they're healthier. They they grow up um, uh, physically healthier. They grow up emotionally healthier. This act of physical touch is huge. It's a big deal. Physical touch represents an expression of love. I cannot tell you how many people come up to me at church in a given year and they say, I just need a, a hug. Look, I just need a hug. That's all. There's, you don't need to say anything, just give me a hug. And I know what they need their love tank filled, they need it. That's why in marriages, you've got to get this thing right because you can drain love tanks and you can fill love tanks with this thing here. And I'm not gonna, this is not a marriage class. So I'm not gonna go over that, but that's pats on the back, a hug, just a kiss. When we talk about physical touch, by the way, it doesn't have to end in the ultimate. It can just be just, just a brush of the hair. That makes a difference to people. Now, I gotta tell you this in this time period, Physical touch is not just all positive from one to 10. There's a negative from one to 10. It's gotta be appropriate physical touch. The positive side is, is, there's physical touch of all kinds. The negative side is there's some that, no, don't, I don't know you, so don't give me a hug. That might be a negative one. The negative 10 is the type of physical assaults that affect people for a long, long time. That's how powerful physical touch is in this area. It just, it reflects love. <clears throat> Last story. My daughter, Katie, um, her love language is not physical touch. It's receiving gifts. She gives gifts all the time, and she's a great gift giver, and she's phenomenal. That is hers, but it's not physical touch. In fact, she, if I go to give her a hug, she says, no, dad, don't do that. Please don't do that. It bugs her. And I'm tr- trying to think, well, why is that not it? And I remember when we disciplined her as a child, she was a very strong-willed child, And Kathy, to get her to not do something or to stop doing something, sometimes would just hug her and hold her. She'd be flopping around and trying to get loose, or she'd sit on her, if you can believe that. I'd go in the bedroom, Kathy'd be sitting on her. Now, we're not talking about great parenting right now, I'm just telling you the way that it was. (laughs) So all I can guess is that Katie thinks that when you hold her, that's a punishment or something. Get what I'm saying? That's sometimes how your love language has come about. It's complex, but it's just so true. Why was it that Jesus, who could do a bang, 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 drive-by miracle, why did he spit in mud and touch somebody? Why did he touch another person? Why did he ask a kid, bring them to me? Why? Because I think he knew, as the lover of lovers, he knew what their love language was and some people just needed touched. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys got the five. When you came in, you should have got it in a sheet of paper, and it said the five love languages. I want you to read that again. There's a test that's in there. If you're not sure what yours is, but there's something more important about that test, so I don't want you to zone out yet. That test, it takes about three to four minutes to do. It's easy. So when I use the word test, don't be afraid. There's 30 questions and you can kind of figure out what your primary love languages are. Now all of them speak love to you, but some stronger than others. Here's the key, listen to me. You need to find out what your family's love languages are. I would have ruined my relationship with Matt, my son, who I love desperately if I didn't realize my words could drain his love tank. My daughter, Katie, she needed gifts. Every time I went out of town, I brought her home a what? A gift. Because I loved her and it was more important. I wanted to hug her and it wasn't like, you know, it's not like a weird, like you can't do it, but she that's just not it. So do you want to love? My love language is an act of service. But I love my wife. Quality time, that's what I'm talking about. We should be the wisest people on planet Earth of knowing how to love people. I should in a year be able to come up to any one of you and you should be able to say, hey Tom, my mom's love language is receiving gifts and I I started bringing her dad's oatmeal cookies one time a month. And I tell you what, she's just been a different person or you who botched it with your kids for 20 years and now they're adults and you said, you know, I just just messed it up. I wasn't there, there was hatred there. You should learn to try and say, I'm going to try and learn to love them because if you can get that crack open, if you can love them more, it overcomes a multitude of sins, of mistakes, of brokenness. Know your primary and secondary love languages and share those with people. Learn the love language of those around you and speak their love language often. And God will look at you someday and say these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, we come to you and we praise you. We praise you for the love of your son that we were able to evidence through how he lived his life. We thank you, God, for the times that we've actually just felt your presence, almost as if you're just hugging us right there. We thank you, dear God, that you serve. You serve our families and our friends. You lead our church and you serve us. We thank you for that. We thank you, dear God, for the gifts that you've given us that we can use in our own lives, our our own gifts, but most of all for the gift of your Son. We thank you, dear God, that you're always with us and that you're always focused on us. We are the apple of your eye. And dear God, we thank you that you affirm us for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God so loved us that he gave his one and only Son. God, I pray that the song that we sing to you as we walk out of here. Helps us to understand more of why we need to love the way that we should love. God, we thank you. Hear our words. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing in full voice to our King.